You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Our podcast team is taking a break this week for Thanksgiving, but don't panic. We've got brand new extended interviews with interesting people lined up for you. And you can get your daily dose of cybersecurity news on our website, thecyberwire.com, where you can subscribe to our daily news brief and get all the latest cybersecurity news. Stay with us. My guest today is Tiffany Lee. She's an attorney and resident fellow at Yale Law School's Information Society Project. She's an expert on privacy, intellectual property, and law and policy, and her research includes legal issues involving online speech, access to information, and internet freedom. She's also co-author of the paper Humans Forget, Machines Remember, Artificial Intelligence and the Right to be Forgotten, which will be published soon in Computer Security and Law Review. The right to be forgotten, generally speaking, is this concept um, in EU privacy regulation. It's this concept that people ought to be able to request that data or information about them be removed or deleted from a website or, say, a search engine. Now, the right to be forgotten is something that is entrenched in EU privacy regulation, but it's not really relevant to U.S. law, at least not yet. So recently, I co-authored a piece on artificial intelligence and the right to be forgotten. Specifically, we look at whether the right to be forgotten is applicable in artificial intelligence or even machine learning contexts. And if it is, whether it's something we should be looking at doing more or less of and how we should look at legal standards for right to be forgotten in terms of artificial intelligence. So take me through that intersection there. How does artificial intelligence uh, intersect with the right to be forgotten? The right to be forgotten is very interesting to me, I think, because it deals a lot with the concept of deleting information and deleting records. With artificial intelligence or even with advanced machine learning, and here I have to note that I'm not discussing um, AI in terms of, say, the Terminator Skynet AI. (laughs) I'm looking at AI and artificial intelligence in terms of very advanced machine learning systems that can train themselves and develop new algorithms and new predictive results based on data that is fed to them or that they gather um, based on certain parameters that we program. If we look at this form of AI and then we consider the right to be forgotten, we get into a few interesting questions that I don't believe are answered in the law right now. Hmm. First of all, the law never really defines what it means to comply in terms of 
actually deleting a record. So from a technological standpoint, deleting something is not as easy as you might think it is. It's not so simple as, for example, dragging a file from your desktop and you know, throwing it into that little recycling bin icon. Deleting a file or deleting a data record can mean a number of things on the technical end. It could simply mean deleting the record of that data point from the system index. It could mean overriding that data record. It could mean replacing that data record with a null value and so on and so forth. There are various ways to actually delete a record, especially in a machine learning or artificial intelligence environment when you may have a large quantity of data and various ways that the researchers who are using that system want to treat the data. So the first issue there is that the right to be forgotten as it currently stands in the law and as it will be interpreted in the 2018 GDPR does not really address this issue. You don't get a firm definition of what it means to delete information or how to really make this deletion permanent. This is problematic because the GDPR and EU privacy regulation in general requests that basically every tech company that has any reach into the EU or that reaches EU residents has to comply with this law. So it's a little difficult, you can imagine, to comply with the law when the law doesn't really make sense or isn't clear on what could happen. So that issue of deletion not being clear or not being defined correctly is, I think, definitely a problem. And it's a problem that we address in our paper. Now, why, why do you think that issue hasn't been uh, properly addressed so far? Is, 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 it, is it an oversight or is it, uh, you know, people are, are specifically don't want to address it? The problem of the right to be forgotten and the GDPR in addressing those new technologies really lies in the this sort of gap that we have between technologists and policymakers. There is definitely a need right now for more interdisciplinary research in law and technology. I think what often happens is you get all the technologists and tech company representatives in one room. There, they can discuss how to actually create products, how to develop software, how to make tech forward solutions for problems. In an entirely separate room, not even across the hall, but in a different building sometimes, there you have the policymakers and the lawyers who are talking about these issues on a policy or legal level. And they're looking at the same issues. They're trying to figure out privacy. They're trying to figure out online speech. They're trying to figure out you know, what sort of future do we want for our communication systems? But they're not in the same room. And that's a problem. It's a problem that isn't specific just the GDPR or the right to be forgotten. It's a problem that we have in really all tech policy, both here in the and in the EU, as well as in other nations too. So I think the first thing we have to look at when addressing these issues is if we can simply solve them by increasing interdisciplinary research and interdisciplinary collaboration between technologists and lawyers and policymakers. From your point of view, what can we expect to change when GDPR does kick into effect next year? I think a lot can change. You'll definitely see tech companies kind of scrambling to keep up. Of course, they've been preparing for years at this point, but there may be changes. You might see more privacy notices. You might see more pop-ups. You might see different privacy policy updates, right? Um, Because these companies will have to comply, so they'll suddenly have to change things. 
But a lot of what you'll see, I think, will be on the back end. There will be a lot of change, and there has already been a lot of change, I personally know, uh, within a lot of technology companies right now, just preparing for the GDPR. So this means internal policies have been drafted and redrafted and edited and sent to board members. Teams have been trained and retrained. A lot of this change is happening on the back end. We'll have more from Tiffany Lee after this short break. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. Are the Europeans taking a leadership role on this um, that will that, that we expect to then flow through the rest of the world? Um, you know, I, the, I think um, it's commonly said about uh, particularly the Americans that um, we will always trade security for convenience. And I think the Europeans have a different attitude to privacy than we do. I have a few different things to say about the points you just made. Yeah. So first, I definitely don't agree that the U.S. would be willing to trade security for convenience. I think that is way overstating the current state of affairs. Americans do care about privacy, and I would argue that American tech companies do care about privacy, too. Um, of course, they also want to innovate. They also want to you know, hit the bottom line, their goals there. But privacy is important within the industry and for consumers. As to your point about the EU possibly leading in privacy generally. I think there are some interesting thoughts on that that you'll hear from people in the EUS, in the EU, and internationally. 
So as you can expect, most EU scholars and policymakers and practitioners I've talked to who work in technology believe that the EU is leading the way in privacy. And many of them believe that this is a good thing, that they are kind of raising the bar for the rest of us, making privacy an important goal and a human right that we all have to protect. That is definitely one view, and I can definitely see arguments for that specifically because EU privacy regulation does target literally every company in the entire world that operates in the internet or technology space. So sure, in that sense, they're setting a bar and they're setting a standard. There is also, though, I think, another view, which isn't necessarily mutually exclusive with that EU forward positive privacy idea. And it's this concept that If the EU is leading in privacy and the EU is making basically every other company and every other country follow them, you sort of get into, you know, what lawyers call a jurisdictional issue. Hmm. It sort of sounds like the EU is trying to legislate for the entire world, right? Because right now, every tech company in the world who has any EU customers, any EU residents, they have to follow EU privacy regulation, So if you believe this is a good thing, sure, fine. Um, That's definitely happening and it'll happen more. But it's a little concerning to me that, you know, one country or region can decide the laws for every other country in the world. And I think this is concerning because if you think about the EU doing something, I would say many of us in the what people call the Western world might not really care that much. Right. We might think, sure, privacy is great. The EU usually has values that we agree with. This is probably not a huge deal. But what happens then is that you get this sort of precedent that's set. Now that we know the EU can make law that affects technology companies around the world, what does this mean for other countries? For example, China or Russia or countries that have values that may be a little different than what we see in the U.S. or the EU? I think there is a significant danger in seeing this sort of legislative jurisdictional creep. I can definitely see the possibility for some countries to argue that they should be able to do the same thing, that they should be able to create their own laws and have tech companies around the world follow their laws. And there are two problems with this, I think. The first problem is it's very difficult already for tech companies to comply with laws from basically everywhere around the world. It's hard for a tech company to comply with hate speech laws in Germany, free speech laws in the U.S., and political speech laws in China. Those are three entirely different paradigms, and they have to comply with all of them technically. If you take this sort of EU privacy standard example and you push it forward, you also get into the issue of companies having to comply with value systems that maybe we don't want them to comply with. Right? I think we take for granted that privacy and free speech and all those great democratic values are universal values when they are definitely not. Well, haven't we seen that, I mean, with Apple, where because of how much Apple relies on China, both as a market, but also uh, for manufacturing that China has, or that uh, Apple rather, has um, given in to some demands from the Chinese government that perhaps uh, they would rather not have to give in to? We've seen that happen. And different countries have created laws that specifically require that to happen. China's cybersecurity law could potentially affect tech companies outside of China. 
Russia's data localization law affects tech companies outside of Russia and requires them to have data centers located within Russia uh, to keep any data on Russian citizens. Hmm. So these are just a few of the many examples of ways in which countries are trying to get mostly U.S.-based tech companies to comply with their local laws. So how do you see this playing out? How are we going to, uh, when it comes to policy, with things like artificial intelligence, uh, the right to be forgotten and privacy, what do you think the mechanism, as different cultures around the world, as different countries different uh, with different values, what's the push and pull going to be going forward? Do, do you have any sense for what the, the natural evolution of this is going to be? I think we're in an interesting time right now. We're in an interesting time because these tech companies are no longer young and brand new, and they are facing regulation. They're facing regulation in the U.S., in the EU, internationally. And this sort of conflict of laws, this conflict of the laws of different countries is affecting them and hitting their bottom line because it's hard to comply. It costs a lot of resources to comply with all these different laws. So what I see moving forward is most likely there will be some sort of work towards more internationally agreed upon standards, or at least regionally agreed upon standards. Uh, For example, the APAC region actually does have some sort of privacy guidelines, but they have not really been in play for many years. I can see something similar. We could have similar trade agreements. We could have a NAFTA for privacy regulation, for example. Some people even posit that there might be some sort of international law for the Internet eventually. And I can see that happening. That could solve some problems. I do think, though, that right now we're in this really interesting space where if you work in technology or if you work in law or policy related to tech, you really have an opportunity to change how the entire world might see technology in the future. So it's a huge opportunity, but it's also of course, filled with many risks and a lot of room for things to possibly go wrong. Our thanks to Tiffany Lee for joining us. Again, the research paper she co-authored is Humans Forget, Machines Remember, Artificial Intelligence and the Right to be Forgotten. And you can find it online. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. 
In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 